What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Twilight Nine Podcast. This is episode 27. I'm your host, Riley. This week, the AT&T Pro-Am kind of delivered. The field wasn't that great. Uh, definitely lacked some superstar power. But all of the big names that were in the field seemed to all be inside like the top 15 come Sunday afternoon. So it produced. It was awesome. Uh, Daniel Berger down the stretch was absolute nails. A couple eagles on his final round card, including on the 18th hole, just put his dick on the table and made a 35-footer for eagle. Unbelievable finish by the kid. Gets his fourth PGA Tour victory, his second win in the last eight months. Played incredible. Jordan Spieth, again, was one of the uh, 54-hole leaders. He played very, very well for the second week in a row. Jason Day was right there in the top 10. Our boy Max Homo was right there in the top 10. Patrick Cantlay made a run. He played a phenomenal first round of golf. So the AT&T was pretty damn good. Aside from, you know, there wasn't that many big guys in the field, but still, it delivered. Wasn't the Rory, wasn't a Dustin that was supposed to be there. He was a late WD, but it was pretty awesome. So we're going to talk about everything that happened at the AT&T, including Nate Lashley just pissing down his leg on the 13th green. We're going to go over all of that. We're going to recap the bets. Another winning week. It's kind of crazy. I think this is our sixth winning week in a row since the Farmers were plus 5.1 units, I think. So we're rolling right now. So that's awesome. We're looking to keep that going at the Genesis. And that's what we're going to talk about after we go over the bets. The Genesis Invitational, the first like huge tournament of the year. The Farmers always produces like a pretty damn good field. The Genesis is on a different level. Everybody is back this week. DJ, Justin Thomas, John Rahm, Bryson DeChambeau, Rory McIlroy, Brooks Kepka, Jordan Spieth. Everybody's there. And everybody is playing pretty good golf. So the Genesis is going to be insane. Uh, I have a winner that probably a lot, a decent amount of people probably have. Uh, but there's just so many big names that it's tough to see anybody kind of coming from the bottom of the barrel and winning this thing. But I cannot wait for this weekend. So many guys playing such good golf that it's going to be incredible. So we're going to go over everything Genesis Invitational, in-depth preview, betting analysis, betting pick thoughts. Of course, everything goes live Wednesday when it comes to the Twilight Nine card and the betting article on twilightnine.com. But I cannot wait to talk about the Genesis. Amazing tournament. But before we get into all of that... Let's go over a headline and only one. And it was kind of a bummer because I was trying to include it in last week's show. um, But I couldn't because obviously we release every Tuesday morning and this came out on Tuesday. But the PGA has announced that at its three championships this year, including the PGA Championship at Kiowa Island Ocean Course, they are going to allow rangefinders. And this lit golf Twitter on fire when this was announced. Old Golf Media All the old farts that are still in golf are all getting mad about it's going to take the art out of the game. All those kind of people that you need the caddy to be walking off yardages from sprinkler head to sprinkler head, calculating, triangulating the what yardage it is if the guys end up in a bad spot. And this is put into place to kind of speed up play to try to try to get the game faster because that's been the you know the complaint over the last couple years especially with guys like J.B. Holmes and Bryson DeChambeau and all these guys that take freaking five minutes to hit one golf shot. And would I have started on the PGA Tour with this experiment? Probably not. I probably would have started at like the Corn Ferry Tour level. But when you really think about it, I mean, these guys, 
use rangefinders in every single round of golf that they play until they get to Thursday at a PGA Tour venue. All week leading up, every single practice round, they have a rangefinder. Caddy has a rangefinder. We're at their homes. They're using rangefinders, everything. And then as soon as it hits Thursday, they're not allowed to use rangefinders. So I get it. And I think it's going to speed up play. A lot of the caddies don't love it. They actually think what I was reading online, a lot of the caddies actually think this might slow down play. I don't know how that would possibly be the case. What I picture is happening is it's not going to be a crazy increase of like speed, right? It's not going to, it's not going to speed up the game that much, but what it's going to do, you're going to walk up right to the ball, buzz it, laser it, know exactly what the two flag yardage is and what it, what's happened. They're not allowed to use slope. So that's already a calculation a caddy and the player are going to have to agree on, right? When it's uphill, downhill, how does that affect? Everything stays the same except for the 20 seconds or less or whatever that they find the yardage. All the caddies are going to have to go back to the book to find front yardage, back yardage, carry bunker number. All of that kind of stuff is still in there and still what a caddy has to do. But you take away the first 20 seconds when you get to a golf ball, finding a sprinkler head and then walking it off and all that kind of stuff. Where I think it's going to help the most is when a guy gets in a shitty spot and they need a yardage and they don't really can't get it right away. It happened with Phil at the, was that the American Express in the desert? Um, he flared it left on the first hole and it took him five, 10 minutes to get a yardage because there's no sprinkler heads and it doesn't make any sense. So you have to triangulate it and all that kind of shit. That is where this is going to help a lot. You can just buzz the flag, get a number and then kind of figure out what's the front number. What do I want to land this and all that kind of stuff. That's the only portion of the quote unquote caddy's job that this is going to take away is them walking out the yardages. You can just buzz it right away and get that immediately and then work off of that. I am a fan of this. If there's a chance that this speeds the game up even just a little bit, it kind of takes away that argument where golf is too slow. We need to speed it up. This could help that a lot. I think even if it's again, even if it's only 10, 15 seconds, on shot, you're talking already a couple minutes sped up. And then when you get into shit, when it normally takes five minutes to find a yardage, it takes 10 seconds. That's where it's really going to improve fairway shots. The caddies and players are so damn good at it that they find it very quickly, but it's the places when they're in the trees and the shit that they have to figure it out that way where now they can just buzz it. So I'm a big fan of it. The caddies obviously aren't super happy about it because it takes away kind of their job. But we'll see how it works out. I'm actually kind of looking forward to it to seeing how it affects the game. I think it's going to be good. And if it is, how quickly after that does a PGA Tour say, you know what? Shit, this sped the game up a lot. The PGA Championship went very well. Let's implement this in a couple tournaments a year or the whole schedule. At some point within the net, if it goes well at Kiwa Island in Carolina, I think within a year or two, every single event, on the PGA Tour schedule will allow rangefinders, maybe minus the Masters. And that's just because the Masters is all about tradition. They don't let patrons have cell phones in there, right? They're all about that kind of effect. Old school golf when you go to Augusta National. So I don't know if a rangefinder will ever be seen on Augusta National during an actual tournament round. But I think if it's successful at Kiwa Island within the next couple of years, I think rangefinders are just going to be legal everywhere. 
So that was huge news. Again, it lit Golf World on fire. Everybody was arguing about it. When it comes down to it, I think it's going to help speed up the game just a little bit, especially when the guys are in shit positions. I think it's definitely a good idea to try out. And if it goes well, we'll see where it goes. But that's all I get for headlines. So let's get right into the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am without the amateurs. It was actually kind of nice without the amateurs. It's it's sort of cool to like see like Macklemore and Alfonso Ribeiro, Alfonso Ribeiro like hit golf shots every once in a while and like Bill Murray, whatever, he's funny. But these rounds weren't six hours long. It was like a normal golf tournament. Pebble Beach, no matter the talent level there, is phenomenal to watch on TV. So I actually kind of liked it. But Daniel Berger, like I said in the intro, gets his fourth PGA Tour victory, his second win in his last eight months. If you guys remember, one of the first tournaments back from COVID-19, he beat Colin Morikawa in a playoff after Colin like missed like a three-foot putt or whatever. He ended up winning. But shoots a final round 65, and the down the stretch was sick. It was amazing. Obviously, we're going to talk about Lashley a little bit down the road here, but Maverick McNeely, the kid, stones, perfect drive on 18 right? He's one back. Perfect drive on 18. Then he absolutely sauces his approach shot on the seven, on his 72nd hole. Absolutely loved it. One of the most dramatic club tours I think I've ever seen. It was a la Tiger at the President's Cup. It was insane, the sauce that this kid had. He didn't end up making the eagle putt from 30 feet. He tapped in for birdie, but that tied him in the lead at 16 under with Daniel Berger, who was right behind him. So Berger needed to birdie to win or par to force a playoff and blah, blah, blah. Perfect drive right down the right side of the fairway, past the tree. So it was definitely in the go zone. And then he didn't lay up, went right at it, 30 feet right of the flag, right in the middle of the green for uh, birdie or eagle rather. And that kind of sealed it. Like once that happened, golf Twitter, Daniel Berger gets the win, right? You're not going to probably three putt from 30 feet, especially when you're just looking to lag it up close because tap in win. And then he just put his dick on the table and made the 35-footer for Eagle and won by two shots. It was amazing. After the round, he called it the best putt of his life. It was electric. And that's that. And we talked about it last week because they had fans last week. If there were fans at Pebble Beach, that moment would have been fucking awesome. And that's what you miss. Those moments don't suck without fans. But it definitely, like when you're watching it on TV, you're just like, oh, damn, that was sick. If there was fans, you are lit when that happens. And it was a little bit of a bummer that there weren't fans, but man. And during that round, Daniel Berger could have legitimately shot probably 10 under. All of his putts were right around the hole, lipping out. Of course, he had the famous freaking lip out from the bunker. And when it doesn't go in, he like falls backwards in the sand, flings sand all over himself, which is pretty funny. It was a great photo. But he lipped out everything. He could have easily, I mean, he shot 65. He could have shot 63, 62. Like he was on fire. He was in complete control of his game. He was seventh in strokes gained tee to green, sixth, sixth rather, strokes gained approach, and 18th putting. So he just had an all around fantastic week. And that putter, that putting number could have been much higher if some of those putts dropped. Like he was missing shorties sometimes on Sunday. They were sliders, but still, they were like hitting the hole, lipping out, all that kind of shit. But his short game was huge this week. Pebbles greens, like I said on the show last week, are smaller. So when you miss them in regulation, you need to be able to get up and down. And entering the week, he was 85th on tour this season in up and down percentage. This week, he led the field at 88%. He got it up 88% of the time. And to continue to highlight how important that is, at the 2019 US Open, Gary Woodland entered outside, I think, the top 100 on tour in scrambling. And then that week, he was first. So 
at Pebble, you need that short game. And sometimes it doesn't, you just need to have a hot week. These guys, their short games are like average. But when you get it going that one week, it's huge at Pebble Beach, and that's what happened. And Daniel Bergerman, he put on a goddamn show. He's currently on a streak of shooting par or better in 26 straight rounds. He's now done this in back-to-back seasons. He did it last season too. And only three guys have done this since 2000. Berger, Phil, Eldrick. That is some serious company. And this tournament... For the first time since shot tracking became a thing, I think it was like 40 years ago they started doing it, that the winner has made multiple eagles in the final round in back-to-back weeks. If you guys remember, Brooks Kepka last week, I think made birdie on his second hole on Sunday. I think that was the par five. And then, of course, his famous 17th chip in to get a two-stroke lead, I think. He made two eagles in the final round. Daniel made two eagles in the final round. First time that's happened in 40 years. Pretty crazy. But... He was absolutely lights out. I think Datagolf had him at second highest percent chance to win last week on the show, and he was trending in the right direction despite a miscut in his last start. He was playing really good golf. Um, so he gets a second win in eight months, and he deserved it. He played his balls off. So congratulations, Daniel Berger. Got to talk about Jordan. He's the first player in eight years to hold a share of back-to-back 54-hole leads and not win either one of them. And on the surface, I mean, obviously that doesn't sound great. You need to win one of those golf tournaments, but Jordan hasn't been in this position in four years. This week at Pebble was a huge step in the right direction. I said it on the show last week that I wasn't ready to kind of get back on the Jordan train when it came to like betting him, right? He can have a, not a fluke performance, but he can have a good performance in the desert, right? And hold the lead and then kind of lose it on Sunday. And it's like, well, how is he going to bounce back? Is his game really there? Or did you just have a really good round on Saturday? But now he comes out and holds another 54 hole lead and then doesn't really have it on Sunday. And you kind of start to get to feeling, well, Jordan might actually be back and he's going through, or he was going through swing changes. And now he's feeling more confident with them. But when it comes, you're holding a lead on Sunday, and now you have to trust those, trust those swing changes down the stretch on a Sunday with the lead. That is a whole different animal than trusting them on a Friday while you're like near the top of the leaderboard. You need to play perfect golf. The weather was perfect at Pebble Beach. Faldo said it on the TV coverage that somebody had a prime opportunity to come from behind and win that golf tournament just because how good the weather was. You can really attack the front nine at that golf course, especially the first like seven holes. And then you kind of have to hold on for a bit. It was perfect situation for somebody to come from behind. So Jordan had to play perfect golf. He needed to shoot four under to win that thing to solidify a win. And when you have to trust recent swing changes that you've been working on for a long time on a Sunday down the stretch, it is a way different animal than Thursday afternoon. So, but I think as he stays in contention week in and week out, I guess we'll see what happens at the Genesis. I think this is a gigantic step in the right direction for Jordan. I think he's here to stay. I think he's in a spot now where he's going to compete on a week in and week out basis. And I'm very excited for it. And he holed out twice from the fairway. Like he's kind of got his swagger back. Like you can tell, like he's holding out, he's putting hands in the air. Like, again, those are great moments if fans were at the golf course. Really wish this week that fans were there. A lot of great stuff happened, and it would have been electric with fans at Pebble. Jordan was 37th in strokes gained off the tee, 10th in approach, and 42nd in putting. So his putting's still not great. He's missing fairways off the tee, but his, his iron play is saving him right now. So he's at the top of these leaderboards where – 
the only thing he really has going for him are his irons. If one of those other categories clicks one week, he's going to win. He's going to get hot with the putter. It's going to be a la Saturday at the waste management, right? His iron play was fantastic. His driver wasn't great, right? I think he was that, that round on Saturday, he was last in driving, but first in approach. And then his putter got hot. That's what's dangerous about Jordan Spieth. When that flat stick gets going, it is over for everybody else there. So once one of those clicks, Jordan's going to be a problem. And I think he, he, I think Jordan wins. I think within the next two months, Jordan Spieth will win a golf tournament. So we'll wait for it. And then we got to talk about our guy, Max Homa. As you guys know, this is a Roy McIlroy podcast. We support everything Roy McIlroy does where we talk about him every week. I talk about him later in the show. I'm going to talk about him later in the show when it comes to betting the Genesis. We are a Roy McIlroy podcast. But Max has officially joined the roster. We are a Roy McIlroy and Max Homa podcast. That's our guy right there. We love Max Homa. T7 finish for Max, and he was making a run early in his round. I thought he was going to be the guy that Faldo was talking about to make a serious run at this championship. He opened par, eagle, birdie, and got himself one back within a flash, and everybody was like, oh, shit, here comes Max. And then he makes double on five after just getting a shitty line in the bunker. It went, uh, he hit it into the left bunker, but it was on a downslope lip. The green was running away from him, had borderline no green to work with. Like it was a nightmare. He leaves it in the bunker, gets it out to, I think, like eight feet, misses that putt, double, real quick double. And then you're like, well, there goes that eagle. He's one under now. And then on the next two holes, he goes, he birdies the par five, birdies the par three. And it's like, well, now we're back. But then after that, the rest of his round from eight to 18, he played it one under. And that just wasn't going to be enough to keep up with the rest of the guys. And his approach shot on 18 was so sick. I saw Shane Bacon tweeted something like uh, Max Homa's approach on 18, make it the PGA Tour logo. It was amazing. He grabs a metal wood underneath the tree that's in the middle of the fairway. He has a full swing, ropes a draw on there. The club demolishes a branch after, after he contacts the ball, ropes it. He's screaming, sit, sit. Ends up, he has like 24 feet for eagle. He ends up missing the putt, but it was electric. That's one of those shots. Again, it would have been so awesome with fans there. Um, it was great because he was on featured group coverage the first couple of days. And Sunday, actually, they had him on featured groups on PGA Tour Live. His swing is so perfect. It is a pleasure to watch him swing the golf club. Everything about it, the tempo, the rhythm, just his alignment, his setup, his, I love his little like cut off follow through. It's like kind of like Tommy Fleetwood doesn't bring it all the way over his shoulder. Everything's over his left shoulder in the club. It just looks phenomenal. And his putting stroke also looked much, much better. He looked more comfortable over the ball. His setup looked a little bit better. His stroke was back and through on a much more consistent basis. I think just reading the putts that he didn't make was the problem. Like his stroke looked perfect. He just didn't read the green super, super well. And that can come back to just him being a little bit more comfortable on POA, right? POA is his favorite putting surface. I mentioned that on the show last week, and I think he's just comfortable in that position. And this week at the Genesis, they're back on POA. And last year he finished T5. So he's going to be on the card. We're going to talk about Max later. We're going to go over a couple things. But I think he mentioned it on Twitter after the round that he's getting close. I think the Genesis for him could be a huge spot to win, especially being an LA kid. It kind of sets up perfectly the storyline, right? Playing great golf, good finish last year, 
local kid putting surface that he feel comfortable on. The putter's finally coming around. That seems like a spot. Strokes gained wise, 27th off the tee, 11th in approach, 9th in putting. So last week he couldn't hit he couldn't hit anything with his putter, right? He famously said, well, not famously, but he mentioned after after the uh, Phoenix Open that he was hitting his eight iron straighter than his putter. Well, this week he was ninth in strokes gained putting. I, I believe that really is the putting surface. If you're comfortable on a certain type of grass, you're going to putt better. He was inside the top 10. Like that's getting it done. Off the tee, he missed a couple fairways, but his iron play right now is so good. His putting stroke looks so much better on the Poa greens. He is going to be a guy to seriously, seriously watch upset all of these guys, all of these top tier world number one, world number two, world number three type guys at the Genesis this week at Riviera. I could see it. Uh, so I'm one of the guys on the Twilight Nine card posted to YouTube and Instagram. We had Jason Day and he looked on Saturday and Sunday. He was poised to make a little bit of a run. I uh, ended up tying for seventh. He just couldn't get enough putts to go, even though his putting stroke looks way better than the last couple weeks. He just couldn't get anything to go, really. He got hot at a couple points, but then missed some shorties. Uh, couldn't capitalize on a lot of birdie chances, but his putting stroke looks back to like the old school Jason Day. Slow on the way back, perfect stroke, and then accelerate through the golf ball. It looks very, very good. And he's back on greens. Like I said last week, he loves POA. That's why we picked him. He was coming off two straight missed cuts, and then he get back to a golf course that he really likes in Poa Greens. He's in for a big week, and he top 10. So next week at the – or this week at the Genesis, he's back on Poa Greens. That could be huge for him, and the rest of his game looks really good. Irons, driver, everything looks very, very solid. He's going to be a guy to watch at the Genesis too. Maverick McNeely, ice cold from this kid this weekend. Unbelievable performance on Sunday. He was solo second after just, that was one of the most saucy approach shots I've ever seen in my life, in my career of watching golf. Sauce that thing. His girlfriend, Danielle Kang, who's a LBGA tour superstar, posted on Twitter. It was saucy. You got to respect the kid. He was feeling it, made birdie to tie the lead. Like that's exciting, right? He's not normally in those spots and that kid can freaking roll it. Such a good putting stroke. He was rolling in everything on the, over the weekend. The kid looked really good. And it, it's a bummer that a rules violation kind of killed him on Saturday. Sorry if you can hear the sirens. There's cops going by the apartment right now. Um, on Saturday, he kind of got killed by a rules violation. He was greenside on five, I believe, above the left-hand bunker. And the ball was kind of fluffed up in the rough. It was on top of some blades of grass. He put the club behind the ball. And as he lifted the club to kind of take it back, the ball came off the rough, came off its perched lie and kind of nestled into the rough. And you can see in his face, like his head immediately went back, eyes rolled back. They were talking for a long time. They made him drop it four or five times and then they were given a uh, a stroke penalty, which is a bummer. It happened to Russell Knox too. I think that was even on Sunday. From the middle of the fairway on one, his ball moved and they ended up not giving a penalty right away, but then they went to video after and then later told him, I think on like the fifth hole that he got a penalty. So there's been a lot of rules violations. It's kind of crazy. You're giving all these guys stroke penalties and then Patrick Reed, the biggest cheater on the PGA Tour, like gets caught and nothing. I don't get under released. I don't know why they're protecting Patrick Reed so much. That's a whole different conversation. But yeah, he kind of got he kind of got fucked with the rules violation. He could have been right there, you know, minus that. He's one deeper. So that birdie means a lot more. But the kid played his ass off. 
So good for good for McNeely. The kid can fucking roll it. He's he's a problem when that putter gets hot. And then the last guy we talk about, and then we'll move on to recapping the bets that we had this week is Nate Lashley. He looked like the guy when they got to the back nine that was going to win that golf tournament. He was in complete control. He was getting up and down. His irons was ridiculous. I think he missed like three fairways the entire tournament. Like he absolutely had it going. And then they get to 16 and he gets a little bigger of a bounce than he wanted, right? I think he said that was the first seven foot bounce I saw all week. So we kind of got a little unlucky with the, with the bounce. And then from 13 feet, he four putted. And it was one of the worst putting sequences I've ever seen next to Ernie Els at the Masters a couple years ago. It was awful. Goes on to make triple bogey seven, absolutely killed his chances. And that's not even to mention that he probably lost hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? Because a second place finish, even, excuse me, even if he doesn't win, you're talking about a second place finish and you probably get at Pebble, it's a smaller turn, so probably like six hundred to $700,000. He came in tied for fifth, so now you're rocking like two. Crazy difference, especially for a guy that doesn't find himself at the top of the leaderboard very often, that he, on one green, lost four hundred grand. I don't know the exact numbers, but that he <laughs> just shit down his leg. I don't even know what to say. And it was you were wa- when you were watching it, it almost felt like he was going to miss every putt, especially the one coming back right at the camera that just dove a foot to the right or to the left. You just he, he was standing over that, and you felt like awkward watching it because you're like, well, this has no chance to go in, and it it didn't. He just absolutely shit down his leg, so it was very awkward to watch. But yeah, that sucks for him. I mean, it's tough to make fun of him. Cause I mean, that's happened to me 20,000 times in my lifetime playing golf, but it's just funny to see a PGA tour guy just legitimately pee down his pants and miss and miss putts from that close. Crazy. But that's it for the recap of the AT&T. Let's go over some bets real quick before we get into the Genesis invitational. We had six bets and it's a bummer because I mentioned on, I mentioned him on the show last week and I posted about him on our Instagram. It was Peter Malnati. And as I was putting the Twilight Nine card together, I had five solid bets and he wasn't, a, he, I kind of took him off the card. And then for the last couple of weeks, I've been doing six bets. So I threw him on there and then he didn't make the cut. So that kind of sucked. Um, we could have had a little bit bigger of a week if we didn't include him, but we'll go over it. So yeah, uh, Peter Malnati, top 30. We missed that one. Max Homa, top 20. We hit that one for plus 164. Kevin Streelman, top 20. We hit that one for plus 163. It looked like he was actually going to win at one point on the back nine on Sunday, and then he made a bogey. Uh, Francesco Molinari, top 20. Uh, missed that one. I had a feeling we were going to miss that one once he topped a shot 50 yards in front of his feet on the first tee box on Saturday. Didn't love that. Didn't love that omen. Uh he was in good form and then nothing at Pebble. Couldn't get anything going. His swing looked good except for that tee, that tee shot was hilarious. That obviously was all over Twitter. Uh, he, even, he, even, he even posted on Twitter with a little like gif after with a guy taking like a six-inch divot with his driver like, oh, anybody see anything interesting today? So he was a good sport about it. But yeah, so we missed that one. Nick Taylor, top Canadian. That was the easiest bet of the weekend. He won that just by making the cut. All the other three Canadians actually missed the cut. So that was one of the easiest bets that we've had recently. That hit for plus 138. And then Kyle Stanley. We missed Kyle Stanley top 30. And Twilight Nine is officially a non-Kyle Stanley podcast. We don't support Kyle Stanley. All we needed him to do 
was par the ninth hole, his 72nd, because he started on the back on Sunday. We needed him to par nine. And we would have won Kyle Stanley top 30 plus 188. And he made double. All we needed was a par. I didn't even need a birdie. All I needed was a par. And he made double. So instead of being up 460, like 460 something, something ridiculous for the week, because he missed, I mean, we won still. We were plus 165, which I mean is solid, right? Plus 1.65 units. But holy shit, if Kyle Stanley just makes par there, we're up four something. So that was definitely, that sucked. But what are you going to do? Since the farmers though, starting at the farmers rather, we're up over five units. So we're hot right now. We're going right now. And we're looking to keep it going for the Genesis. Let me grab a sip of water before we get into it though. All right, let's get into the Genesis. We already talked about it. Pebble didn't have a bunch of big names, lacked the superpower, even the star power, superpower, lacked the star power, even though like a lot of them, a lot of the big names that were there, like I mentioned at the jump of the show, they were at the top of the leaderboard Sunday, which was sick. This week though, that could not be farther from the truth. All of the boys are back, all of them. LA has brought out the stars, including world number one, Dustin Johnson, who was a late WD last week from the AT&T, but I get it. He won overseas in Saudi Arabia. He won the tournament for one point something million. He had an appearance fee of a lot, probably like two or three million. So he won a fuck ton of money. I would have stayed in Florida with Paulina too, if that was my decision. So I get why he didn't want to go to the West Coast, but now he's back over the West Coast for LA. And he won this tournament back in 2017. And I'm going to bring up a couple of tweets from Justin Ray that he uh, had earlier today. I'll just say them now because I just pulled them up. In his last nine worldwide starts, Dustin Johnson has as many wins, four, as rounds over par, four. Ridiculous. And then Dustin Johnson ranks at Riviera Country Club since 2014 among players that have 12 or more rounds there. Scoring average, first. Score to par, first. Bogey avoidance, first. Drives of 300 yards or more, first. One putts, first. Strokes gain total, first. Strokes gain tee to green, first. So does it sound like a recipe for Dustin Johnson to win? Sure, absolutely. Especially with a week spending with Paulina, getting all relaxed, ready for LA. I don't know if that's going to happen. He's in the heavy favorite. I think he's entering the week like plus 550. So that's a huge favorite, especially with the talent in this field. That's crazy. Vegas has him as the best player in the world, and it's not even close. And I do right now also. But we'll see what happens. Um, Another week, obviously, I just said another winning week in Pebble. But let's keep it going. Let's go over the field. John Rahm is back, looking to get another win after just a bunch of high finishes in a row. He was like T7, T7, T13, something like that. Our guy, Roy McElroy, is back in the field after taking a week off. Last year at this tournament, he did held he held the lead on Sunday before falling down. He ended up finishing T5 with Max. The Hulk is here. Bryson DeChambeau, a bunch of videos have been coming out on Instagram, him speed training and all that shit. So the Hulk is here. Justin Thomas is making the start, his first start since losing his grandfather the Sunday of the Waste Management Phoenix Open. So JT will probably be emotional, especially in his first start. So we'll see how he plays. Excuse me, I know he was really grinding at home over the last week. So JT should be in pretty good form. And he had a great week in Phoenix, minus that Sunday. So I'm sure JT is going to come out and play play pretty damn well. And then other big names in the field, 
Xander Shoffley, Patrick Cantlay, Tony Finau, Brooks Kepka, Daniel Berger, Victor Hovland, Colin Morikawa, Jordan Spieth, and last year's winner, Adam Scott. And I could have kept going down that list. Maddie Wolf is here. Like, everybody is here. Answers back. Maddie Wolf, like, this, <laughs> this tournament is loaded. This is a player's field, pretty much. Like a player's championship, but in LA. That's what the Genesis is uh, turning into. So, field's loaded. Of course, Riviera Country Club. It's a par 71, very old school golf course, very old school rounding tree line. Um, instead of punishing, there's no water on the golf course. There's like that famous hole. I forget the par three something. Is it the seventh? I forget what hole it is, but the bunker's like in the middle of the green. So it's like a donut shape. It's very old school. Sorry, I had to get a phone call. But yeah, it's just very an old school golf course. Uh, it, the punishment really isn't like hitting it in the rough. It's hitting it on the wrong side of the hole. There's a lot of blockouts. Trees blocking certain portions of the green that you need to get to. Trees like behind greens that you can't hit, like that kind of stuff. It's very old school. It's a Neville and Thomas design in 1926. And then the Foz, Tom Fazio redesigned it in 2008. And again, like I mentioned a couple times on the show already, they're back to Poa Greens. I love Riviera. It's probably one of my favorite golf courses in the United States. So I always get pumped up for this week. The weather looks pretty damn good. Thursday, 72, sunny. Uh, eight mile an hour winds. Friday, 69, nice, mostly sunny and 10 mile an hour winds. Saturday, 65, partly cloudy, 11 mile an hour winds. And Sunday is 64, partly cloudy and 10 mile an hour winds. Not a lot of rain in the forecast. I think the highest chance is Saturday at like 23%. So it should be pretty dry. The course should be fast and a little bit of wind, but like not too much, like not like a couple years ago. I think it was 2019 that when JB Holmes beat Justin Thomas down the stretch, that wind was absurd. Shouldn't be like that. Should be pretty dull. Uh, but uh, we're fucking looking forward to LA. I love this golf course. Two key stats for you guys this week. Uh, the first one being greens and regulation. Just like Pebble last week at Riv, the greens are a little bit smaller than average on the PGA Tour. They're just smaller greens. So finding them in regulation and maximizing birdie bids is going to be crucial, especially with the talent in this field. You need to have as many birdie looks as possible. Since 2016, the winner of this tournament has been inside the top 10 in greens in regulation percentage for that week. So hitting them is very, very crucial. You need to be able to do it. And then the other thing, driving distance. Bombers win at this golf course. You can bomb it all over this place if you hit right portions of the fairway. There are obviously a few outliers like every like every tournament that Bombers win, but for the most part, distance plays here. Winners include Bubba, who's won it three times since 2014, Dustin Johnson, Adam Scott, who you don't immediately think of as being long, but he is sneaky long, and J.B. Holmes can bomb it too. Um, putting, putting winners aside, like Bombers and distance guys find the top of the leaderboard. They fill it up here. Like Rory T5 last year, T4 the year before. Like he, these guys find the top of the leaderboard at the Genesis. So those are the two things that we're going to be looking at. Data golf information wise, course fit. Number one is Monterey Peninsula Country Club, which is actually the third course in rotation, usually at the Pro-Am last week, but they cut it down to two courses because of no AMs. Uh, Number two is Nine Bridges. And number three is TPC San Antonio. Trending of the players in the field. Dustin Johnson's number one. His last three starts are a victory, a T11, and a victory. (laughs) Uh, Number two, Patrick Cantlay, T13, second T3. And then number three is John Rahm, T7, T7, T13. So he's looking for a win after a bunch of high finishes in a row. 
percent chance to win based off of data golf's baseline numbers, course history, course fit, all that kind of stuff. Dustin Johnson has a 13.9% chance of winning. John Rahm has an 8.1% chance of winning. And then Justin Thomas jumps up in this spot with a 6.9% chance of winning. Nice again for JT. Hell yeah. Betting odds. We'll go, go through the first out of like 10, 15 names. Dustin Johnson plus 550, and then you jump all the way to plus 1200 for John Rahm. Rory McIlroy's at 1300. JT's at 14. Xander's at 16. Bryson's at 17. Patrick Cantley's at 18. Finau's at 22. Brooks is at 25. Berger's at 3,000. More, uh, Colin Morikawa, 3,300. Hovland, 35. Adam Scott, plus 4,000. Jordan Spieth, plus 4,000. Matsuyama, 45. Scotty Scheffler, 5,000. And then Bubba, a lot of value for a three-time winner since 2014. He's plus 5,000. So he's going to be, I'm going to mention his name in a second, but he's going to be a name that we definitely look for this week. So let's jump right into it with, again, a guy that I talk about every single week, and he's officially one of our guys, and that's Max Homa. I've said his name starting this segment on this show a month straight, I think, and he's won us money, what, three out of those times? So we're going right back to him, and I think he's kind of being disrespected in this this spot. He's plus 7,000 to win. And I get the amount of, like, where do you put him? I get the amount of talent in this field, but I think that's just way too big of a number. I'm probably going to end up putting a little bit of money on that just because I think that's a good spot for him. Um, the too much makes sense for Max Homa to win this week. Averaged 295 off the tee last week. I brought up driving distance, but you have to remember that half those holes are going into the wind and he's like sneaky long now, especially in Phoenix. He was driving it in Phoenix. And especially if there's not a lot of wind at Riv, it's going to play a little bit firmer, a little bit faster. You're going to be able to get a little bit of roll, roll out in the fairways. I think Max... He's averaging on the year 303. So he's inside the top 50 on tour when it comes to driving distance. So he's not no longer like sneaky long. He's just long now. And the putter was just back last week. He's back on POA this week. The putting stroke, we discussed it earlier. It looks so much better now. And we're back on the same putting surface in his hometown, not hometown anymore, grew up in LA. He hit 70% of greens at Pebble. Again, that's in the wind. His iron play is really good right now. Uh, he was T5 here last year, and in the year before, he had a top 40. I gravitate more toward that top 5, top 40, whatever. He's made two starts at this event, and he's made the cup both times, top 40, top 5. That's great history. In his last five starts, he has four top 25s, and I think that's technically four top 21s, if you want to say that. Only one's outside the top 20, I believe. Uh, and, of course, he's our guy. We got to take Max. And right now you can get him plus money for a top 30, which I think is crazy. I don't know if that's going to stay like that as the week goes on. Because if I was reading Twitter right, a lot of people like Max this week. So I don't think you're going to, it's going to stay at plus money for a top 30. But if it does, you can bet that it's going to be on the card. He's plus 125 for a top 30 finish. I just think that's crazy value. One of the other guys you can look at is definitely Bubba. We bet on him a couple weeks ago in Phoenix, and he won us some money. He's a three-time winner at this golf tournament. He's inside the top 25 on tour when it comes to driving distance. On the year, he's hitting 70% of greens, and he hits more than that. He hits 72% in the desert, so his iron play is in a great spot. He missed the cut here last year, but I don't see that happening at two years in a row, especially at a golf course that he's won at so many times. 
And he's also plus money for a top 30. So that's going to be something that we probably need to jump on if it stays like that. He's plus 115 right now for a top 30. And you can get him plus 188 for a top 20. So if you like Bob and his history at this golf course, you, you're going to have to probably take one of those options for sure. Next up is another really good ball striker, Victor Hovland. He won in Mayakoba at the end of last year. His last start was a T2 at Torrey Pines a few weeks ago. His last three starts on tour is green greens and regulation percentage are as follows nearly 85 percent 79 percent and 76 percent he is striking the fuck out of the golf ball right now and his driving distance hovers right around 300 yards he's obviously not one of the longest guys on tour but he can get it out there right now he's plus 150 for a top 20 he's not plus he's not plus money for a top 30 and that makes sense he's really striking the ball right now especially coming off a runner-up finish and he's definitely like a streaky player so you want to get him while he's hot he had a really good tournament a couple weeks ago he's going to be a guy to watch for the top 20 finish and even though we missed the cut last week in pebble i think james hahn could be like a sneaky top 40 pick at this golf tournament he had a top 10 in phoenix after holding the lead and then he kind of shit down his leg he came in 10th solo 10th i believe at the waste management a few weeks ago but he's a winner of this event he won the genesis back in 2015 and this season on tour he's 23rd in greens of regulation percentage so I think that could be a sneaky top 40 pick, especially since his odds are pretty damn good. Actually, DraftKings just posted top 40s. See if I can find his name really quick. I just think that we're going to be able to find some value here, especially for a past winner. Yeah, plus 138 for a top 40. I think that could be a sneaky, sneaky top 40 pick for sure. He just needs to make the cut and then kind of hang around on the weekend. I like that. Another iron player, Colin Morikawa. When you talk about iron play, this guy is one of the best players on tour when it comes to striking the golf ball. He is phenomenal. This season, he's seventh in strokes gained approach, 10th in greens of regulation, and 30th around the greens. I bring that up just like Pebble last week. When the greens get smaller, your short game net needs to get better, and he already has a top 30 short game, and everything else is so, so good. He had a T26 last year at this event in his first start in it. I just think that experience just grows, right? He's done so much since his last start at the Genesis that I think this is a great spot for him. And it just kind of feels like when you say like Colin Morikawa, Genesis Invitational winner, like that just kind of like flows. I know that sounds ridiculous, but this just feels like a tournament that like Colin Morikawa would win. So he's going to be a guy to watch also. Uh, obviously, you're not going to be able to get crazy value for him because he's like one of the best players on tour, but you can get him for a top 20 right now for plus 138. So again, that's actually pretty damn good value for him. So I would look into that also. Wouldn't be Twilight Nine if we didn't talk about Rory McIlroy because he's our guy and we got to support him. So we have to talk about him. He was T5 here last year, T4 in 2019, T20 in 2018. Those are his only appearances at this event, so he's improved since his first and then kind of hung around top of the leaderboard. Again, he was winning on Sunday last year. He's second on tour this season in driving distance. That's no surprise. He isn't great. I think he's outside the top 100, I believe, in greens and regulation percentage, but they've been way better the last two starts. He was 79% at the Farmers and 70% in Phoenix. So he's striking his irons really well. The problem is is his proximity to hole isn't that great, but he's hitting a lot of greens and regulation. So if he continues that with the smaller greens at Riv, the putts are shorter, right? So if he continues that iron play, I could see it. And he might've found, and we talked about it last week on the show, he may have found something with his putter. He's never done this before, but he started to line up his ball to his line. Using the line on the ball, he aligned that and then putt. 
he hasn't, he's never done that in the past. He's always been kind of free flowing, kind of just put the ball on the ground and pick a spot, like a couple inches in front of his golf ball and aim at that. But if he lines it up first and then feels as though his like stroke is a little bit more free, he might've found something with the putter. So he's going to be a guy to look at. You can get plus odds for him for a top 10 for a plus 138. So that might be, you know, we might have to take that betting with your, uh, mind over heart is overrated sometimes. Do I want Rory to win every golf tournament? Sure. That's why I'm going to bet on him probably top 10 this week, just because you got a bit with the heart sometimes. And then the last guy we're going to talk about before we end the show this week is Neiman. His last two starts are runner-ups, but he hasn't played since the Sony, and the Sony was obviously a month ago. He's 13th on tour this season in driving distance, which is kind of surprising because obviously he can move it, but I didn't know he was a top 15 driver of the golf ball when it came to distance. That's crazy. And he's also 12th in greens of regulation. So (laughs) he's top 15 in both stats that we're looking at this week. He hasn't put together a good showing here. He missed a cut, and he came in a tie for 44th, so hasn't shown great form at this golf course. But the stats that he's putting up this year perfectly fit into what you need to do at Riv. So it's almost just a recipe for a really good week. You can get him for plus odds for a top 30 at plus 115. You can get a lot of good odds this week for really good players for top 30s just because the field is so damn deep. It is insane. So we're going to attack that area for sure with some really good guys for top 30s and top 20s this week just because the field's so goddamn deep that we can get some value there. So that's the last guy we're going to talk about, guys. Again, the betting video, the Twilight Nine card video, rather, goes on Instagram on Wednesday. Usually goes out around like 2 or 3. That's when the YouTube video goes live. The article goes out before that, probably right around like noon or 1. So everything betting-wise comes out on Wednesday. Follow the Instagram at Twilight9Pod underscore. Oh, no, it's not underscore. I don't know why I said that. At Twilight9Pod is the Instagram. At RileyHamill underscore is my personal Instagram. So there you go. Uh, so follow, definitely follow the show, socials. Keep an eye out on the website on Wednesday for all the betting information. For sure, lock it up. We're looking for another huge week. Really looking forward to the Genesis. I love this golf tournament every single year. The Oh my God, the field's fucking loaded. I cannot wait to sit my ass on the couch and not get up all weekend long and watch this golf tournament and hopefully make a lot of money again. So guys, share the show around with anybody in your family that loves golf, anybody in your life that loves golf. Let's go win some money at the Genesis and I will talk to you guys next week. Peace. Peace.